welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are back in the book of Philippians today, the, the letter to the Philippians. The theme of Philippians is joy. And before we broke for Christmas, we looked at the passage where Paul said, you know, I, I haven't already attained perfection or maturity, really is the word. And, and so I pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the upward call. And, and today we're going to continue along that line to talking about growing and maturing in the Lord. I want to begin reading in verse 15, Philippians chapter 3. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things." A radio preacher had a program every week, and he preached on that. Uh, I preached a sermon entitled "Maturity in the Spirit." Later that week, he got a letter from one of his listeners talking about his Christian life, and here's what he said: "I'm glad to write you about my Christian life. I don't smoke. I don't touch alcohol. I don't gamble. I am faithful to my wife, and never look at another woman." I work hard. I never go to the movies. I go to bed early every night, and I rise with the dawn. I've been living like this for three years now, but just wait until next spring when they let me out of this place. <laughs> and maybe you think the only way to live like that is to be locked up somewhere. But I want to talk to you about growing in the Lord. Twyla Paris, I like this quote by her, a big part of Christian maturity is learning to let God keep you steady and to be ruled less and less by your emotions and circumstances. And then in a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, or an article entitled that, I want to quote part of it. It says, It is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It's terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly but when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue 
little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. A lot of people start, but they don't finish. Now, finishing isn't entirely dependent upon you because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but a lot of people start the wrong way. They don't have the foundation of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul is writing to the, to the Philippians saying, look, I'm, I've been following the Lord since my salvation experience on the road to Damascus, but I've not yet matured. And even though he's planted churches and done a lot of things, he hadn't matured to where he wants to be. And I want to tell you something. One mark of your maturity in the Lord is the fact that you realize you don't know anything or that you don't know as much as you thought you did or the fact that you begin to be amazed that God even loves you in the first place. Because you look back over your life and say, God, why did you even want me in the first place? Well, with that in mind, there are some, some principles or suggestions here, I think, that Paul makes. He said, first of all, as you mature in the Lord, you have to have a compliant attitude. I want to follow the Lord. Verse 15, it says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Mature means perfect. It means to be full-grown instead of being an infant. It means to be mature instead of immature, to continue in your growth. You don't ever get to the place where you think, you can't teach me anymore. And some people thought they had arrived, they, that they didn't need any more teaching. They knew everything about walking with Jesus. They knew all the things about the Christian life. But you and I know, you, you know as well as me that we cannot know everything and we're still learning. Have you, if you started reading the Bible, when you read through the Bible, do you ever come across that, wow, I've never seen this before? <laughs> well, welcome to growth. Or you have those aha moments that I call them. Gosh, God, you, you really showed me something here. This is incredible. And Paul says to have this mind, to think as Paul did, it means to your maturity, you have to keep on maturing. One measure, and just one, one measure of spiritual immaturity is when something goes wrong in the person's life. And then they make statements like, well, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. You ever heard that? Or why would a loving God, if he's such a loving God, why would he allow this to happen? Let me tell you. Now, it doesn't mean you're not ever going to be mad. I've been mad at God before, and believe it or not, it didn't shake him off the throne. <laughs> and he didn't zap me on the spot, make me a burnt spot on the ground. You can be angry, but that doesn't mean you quit believing. It doesn't mean you quit standing on the promises of God. We live in the cursed world we live in because we're the one that cursed it. We're the ones that messed it up. We're the ones that sinned. And heaven is going to be the ultimate reality when it's all reversed and we get back to what God intended in the first place. But when, when somebody says, well, you know, I used to go to church, but then this happened, and I don't even believe in God anymore, that tells you that they never were really very deep in their faith. I'm not being judgmental, and I, don't sound, I sound critical. I don't mean to be. But I want to tell you, even though there are things that I see happen, and I go, I hate this is going on. I don't like this. Why, why, why? And you can ask why, but I've never stopped feeling and never stopped believing, I should say, that God is here. 
Paul said, things are going to be tough, but you need to have this mind. And I like the, the attitude that the explorer, Thomas Hearn, and his party were exploring, had set out on an expedition in northern Canada to find the mouth of the Coppermine River. And right after they got started, a few days after they left, thieves came in and stole most of their supplies. Here's what he wrote in his journal the next day. The weight of our baggage being lightened, our next day's journey was more swift and pleasant. <laughs> well, you got to have that kind of attitude. Paul said that God would reveal to you that you don't know it all. If you're one of those people that knows everything, I, I grew up with a friend who knew everything. And then I've met people along the way who know everything. If you have a teenager, you need to take advantage of the fact that they know everything. I've had three of them. I didn't eat them. They gave us grandkids later. But the fact is, Paul, Paul said, those of you who think you're mature and that you're not going to learn anything, God's going to reveal otherwise. You've got to remain having a teachable spirit. Don't ever get to the place where you think you know it all. President Herbert Hoover, just after he left office, a little boy came up to him and wanted his autograph. And he graciously gave him his autograph, complied. And, and then the little fellow said, well, would you go down a little bit lower and give me another one? And the president did. And he said, why do you want it twice? And he said, because with two of your signatures, I can get one of Babe Ruth's. You can, prom you can be assured that when a man starts singing his own praises, it's pretty much going to be a solo. To be mature means you have the attitude that I'm still learning, that I know I'm not, I haven't completely arrived, that I'm still learning, I'm still growing, God's still working on me. Paul then mentions you'll have a Christ-like ambition and action. Verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, all right, what you already know, let's walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. To the degree that you've already attained, you've, you prove your maturity by your actions, what you already know. It's not what you don't know is the problem. It's applying what you already know in your life. Walk that way. You already know about the Lord. Walk in his ways. And then verse 17 is one of the... Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, what a statement. It's a present tense, continually following my pattern. But is there any more egotistically minded statement than, hey, follow my example. Walk with the Lord like I am walking. Can you imagine saying to somebody, well, you need to be the kind of Christian that I am. Well, now you got to remember something. They didn't have the New Testament. And so Paul is basically saying, he's not saying I'm perfect. In fact, he's already said, I'm still growing. 
But he said, but use us as a pattern as we follow the Lord Jesus and those who also are following the Lord Jesus. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, excuse me, 11, 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You ever thought about if somebody followed your example of commitment to the Lord? Do you know that people are watching you? Dads, you have children that are watching you. There may be little boys in your family that want to be just like you. Or moms, there may be little girls in your family that want to be like you. And they're watching you. People are watching you at work. People are watching you in your neighborhood. People are watching you at school. We ought to be striving to live the kind of lifestyle that could be an example to others. We never, I would never say, now you be just like me. But Paul is saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. Live for the Lord. Walk by the same rule. Verse 16, and it has the idea of walking in a row. He said, walk by the same rule. Be like-minded. It implies harmonious arrangement. We're walking together. We're, we're walking a path as believers. And I want to tell you, the path you're walking as a believer, it's in direct conflict, direct opposite of the path the world's going. You ever been to the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C.? I remember as a kid, we got, I went as a kid, my parents took us, my brother's three years younger than me, and I probably was, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And there's an elevator that goes to the top, but there's a long line for it. And we begged our parents to let us climb it. And we did, all 896 steps. Now, that was young and stupid and had a lot more energy then. <laughs> Zig Ziglar tells about taking a group to see the Washington Monument. And when they got up there, the guide said, there's a two-hour wait to use the elevator. But if you want to take the steps, it's go ahead and go. Well, the Christian walk is a climb. It's a, it's a walk in the opposite direction. And you're going to find opposition. But Christians ought to be walking the same direction. We ought to be following the Lord. Let this mind, but let us be of the same mind, have the same goal. And in verse 17, he says, join in. Be a part of it. As you mature in the Lord, it's going to show as you live your life. You should be more grown than you were when you first met Jesus. As you mature in the Lord, things come together for you. So these two words speak of attitude and action. Let us live the kind of life that would point people to the Lord. But then Paul tells us not to do something. He said, listen, there's something you don't want to do. He, I call it a cautioned avoidance. He said, I'm cautioning you again. I, I, he, he said, I tell you often. <laughs> I've told you often. I've repeated myself over and over and over again. Some of them may have said, well, Paul, you don't have to tell us that anymore. We got it the first time, and, and sure, there may be some people that are headed the wrong direction, but that won't happen to me. Paul said, no, you're wrong. It can happen to you. That's why I keep telling you often, do not follow false teaching. 
In fact, he even said, and I tell you weeping. You know, Paul was a weeper. He, he cried when he left the Ephesians and said goodbye to them at the harbor, setting sail. He wept over the Corinthians when he rebuked them in 2 Corinthians 2.4. Here again, he says, I'm telling you with tears in my eyes, I'm telling you weeping because there are people that are being led astray from Jesus. He mentions some characteristics of these people. First of all, their defiance in verse 18. I tell you, weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they show their hostility for Christianity and their hatred for the cross by adding to something. Folks, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I'm going to harp on this for a moment. Nothing, nothing can pay for your sins except the sinless blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And when we know he rose again in conquering death and we place our faith in him. But to pay for your sins took sinless human blood. So Christ became human, lived a sinless life, showed us God's love, God's forgiveness, and died for us on the cross. We have a cross right over here over the baptistry. You see, the cross, without the cross, there's no salvation. It is the central part of our faith. It is the only barrier between heaven and hell. It's the only barrier to keep us out of hell. The only thing was the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't have Jesus still on the cross. He rose again. He died for our sin. But you need to understand that people add to that. He, he could use the Galatians as an example. He could have easily mentioned them and said, you know, we had a great thing going there and they... They believed in grace, but after I left, they soon fell from grace, which doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means they added to salvation and got away from the grace of God. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. Listen to some of these verses. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are spiritually healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness in him. He, Christ, redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Anybody ever tells you, well, sure, Jesus died for our sin, but you've got to add this and this and this 
and this. You've got to be a member of a certain church. You've got to have absolution from a priest. You've got to take communion. You've got to meet on this day. You've got to not do this. You've got to start doing this. You've got to stop doing this. This, 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 and this. That is being an enemy to the cross. That's what I'm talking about. You take away the cross, you have no salvation. That's why Jesus is not one of the ways of salvation. He is the way of salvation because no one else died on the cross, lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose again for our sin. False teachers can't stand the cross. It's too easy. You mean to tell me one man died for the sins of the world? I didn't tell you that. God did in his word. The second thing, their destiny. Their destiny is destruction. Verse 19, whose end, telos, which means the ultimate end. The ultimate end is destruction. You can see the connection without the cross. The destiny of all men is destruction. Let's call it what it is. It's hell. It's separated from God. Total darkness. Lake of fire. There's only one barrier to the place called hell. It's the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the barrier. He took death. He conquered death. He took the keys to hell. And he said, you come through me to the Father. But if you deny me, you're already on the road. When a man who's lived in, as an enemy of the cross dies, he's confronted with the most awful task any human will ever be confronted with. He stands alone before the judgment seat of God. And will try to, have, try to deal with the demands made against him because of God's eternal, just, holy, and perfect law. But he will have no mediator. He will have no defense. These people out here trying to earn their way to salvation, they'll have no defense. But that cross is very wonderful when you know that it's the only way of escaping destruction. It's the only way to be saved. And folks, it's easy enough for a child to understand and believe. There was an old evangelist, a southern evangelist. His name was Rolf Bernard. And right after he got saved, he, went to, he was on vacation by himself. He went to Yellowstone National Park. And he recalled this. He wrote this down. He said, I drove to what they called the handkerchief pool. And I brought my, from my car an old dirty cloth that I had used to clean the spark plugs on my old Ford. It was awful. It was black and greasy. And I held two corners of it and let it down into that boiling water till it touched my fingers. And then I pulled it up quickly. And it was pure as the driven snow. I was spellbound. He said, I stood there for a moment, unconscious of my surroundings, and I began to sing, as they tell me. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, 
wash all my sins away. And all of a sudden, he felt somebody touch him on the shoulder, and he looked around, and there were a hundred people standing around him. And one of them said, will you let us sing with you, preacher? He said, surely. And then those people from all kinds of different states, they sung together, dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God are saved to sin no more. You get away from the cross, you have no hope. Now you'll also notice their desire in verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. <laughs> Appetite. It, it, it refers to the anatomically part of the body, the, 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 the abdomen, particularly the stomach. Now it's used in a, as a metaphor here to refer to all the unrestrained, sensual, fleshly, bodily desires. You can look this up in 1 Corinthians 6.13. The false teachers were condemned because they did not worship God, but bowed to their sensual impulses. In other words, whatever felt good was okay. It's a reference. It could be a reference to some of the dietary laws. It could be a reference to the, the paganism that was going on that referred to all the sensual pleasures. Jude, verse 4, he even describes it, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, these are people who please themselves. Have you ever noticed how many cooking shows there are on television? And you go out here on the street, and I bet the average person could not tell you any of Christ's apostles. But they could probably tell you 12 chefs that are on television. The world, the term stomach, actually, this word is a little broader. And that means everything below the waist. And it refers to animal instincts and desires and passions. And that's how our country is operating today. It's how our world is operating today. Whatever you feel like doing, you're just going to do it. And whatever you don't want to do, you don't do it. Your desires. And how do they describe How do people describe their weekends? How much they drank, who they slept with, what all they did, what, this is what their songs are about. That's the God is their belly, their desires. On the epitaph of the world one day, it'll be the, their God was their bellies, whatever they feel like doing. And if anybody tells you, well, I know God's word says this, but I feel, you stop listening right there. Doesn't matter what you feel. Take God at His word. It talks about their disgrace, whose glory is their shame. Their conscience is so dead and dull, they delight in their very sins. They boast about things that should bring shame. And that's the most extreme form of wickedness, is when a sinner brags about what he does. The Judaizers boasted in their rubbish. Paul called it rubbish in chapter 3, verse 8. All that wonderful stuff that they went through, Paul said, that's just garbage compared to the cross. And he said, it's a loss. For, he said, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ in verse 7. And then the Gentiles boasted about their freedom to pursue all their sensual desires. You see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And so 
They glory in their shameful things. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul even said it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A father has, a man has his father's wife. And you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have filled, be filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? There was a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. And the church was bragging. Oh, we're so tolerant here. We don't judge anybody. It's okay. We're so open-minded. We're so mature. And Paul said, you're out of your mind. You're glorying in the shame. And we still see that kind of thing in church today. Immorality is approved. Immorality, sex before marriage, or any kind of pornography, sex, all that stuff. And and, and let me just, let me paraphrase. Let me tell you something. Sex is a great thing, but it's between a man and woman in marriage. That's That's the stipulation. God created it. But anything outside of that is immorality. And And churches today condone immorality because, quote, that's just the way things are today. There's perversion to God's plan for male and female marriage, and it's accepted in the church because people can't help that. So we're just not going to judge them. And then they, they do things that are ethically and theologically wrong, but they build a crowd, and they're celebrated as being resourceful. Listen, you lift up Jesus Christ... You tell them that Jesus saves, that you can be forgiven of your sin. You help them grow in their Christian walk. That's what needs to be celebrated, not tolerance today. Now, if that gets put out on the in social media, I can imagine how it's going to be misquoted. What I'm talking about is we're not ever going to turn anybody away who comes in here to worship. But we're not going to condone the sin that people live in when it violates God's word. And we're not going to be ugly about it. But if you ever expect me to say, you know what, y'all sleeping together, it's okay. You can't help yourself. God knows that. Things have changed. You're not ever going to hear that come out of my mouth. And you're not ever going to hear it come out of this church's mouth, I hope. Because you hold up the standard of God's word. It's a disgrace to take God's word and to throw it on the ground and stomp on it. And say, well, that used to be sin, but it's not now. Then you also see their direction and their disposition. They set their mind on earthly things. They follow the world standards. These men are not spiritually minded. They're earthly minded. And they say as long as society approves it, God must approve it. If the Supreme Court voted it in, God must be okay with it. Actually, that's a misnomer. They are not the Supreme Court. There's a supreme judge, only one, and they'll face that one day. Most people today kind of take the advice that a man gave his son before he went into boot camp. He said, son, you keep your mouth shut and stay in the middle. Well, a lot of people stay in the middle of everything, but but the Word of God tells us, and here's the good news. I know the joy of the Lord is the theme of Philippians. This hadn't been very joyful. But here's the joy. You don't have to stay that way. God's in the salvage business. He salvaged all of us from the dung heap called humanity. 
and forgiven us. Listen, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, God will forgive you. And God wants to forgive you. But you have to come His way. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. So the rest of that Romans 5, 8 verse is, no, Romans 6, 23 is the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To be spiritually minded simply means to look at earth from heaven's point of view and realize you're just passing through that your life now has been changed. You have been brought out. You've been given life. You've been, you, the lights come on. You, you have the Holy Spirit helping you discern how to live your life. And the world is in the sway of the wicked one, the scripture says, and the sway of the wicked one, he is making it darker and darker. But you have Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus, listen to me. It's not being religious. It's knowing him. He sets you free. You're free from religion. You're free to walk in the grace of God, in the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing I've been saved to the ultimate. Yeah, I'm still growing in the Lord as maturing and spiritually in the Lord, but I'm not ever going to be any more saved from my sin than I am right now. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what, profits is it, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. The Holy Spirit's already talking to you. Some of you already were being talked to by the Holy Spirit before you ever came in this room. You know, there's something missing in my life. There's a spiritual void there that only the Spirit of God can fill. And it comes by faith. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the only one, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're a believer, listen, we're all about New Year's resolutions and all. How about just saying, Lord, help me just live for you tomorrow. Help me live for you today. Help me live for you tomorrow. Just today, Lord, I, I want to walk in your ways. I want to have this mind. I want to grow in you. I want you to give me some of those aha moments. I want to live for you. 
And, and I want you to help me remember that people are watching me. If they were a, a church member just like me, what would get done at Southcrest? If they were a Christian like me, would anybody else even know? Just walk in the Lord. Just walk in the Lord. Free. You don't have to, oh, I've got to toe this line, or, or I'm not, you know, just relax. There is no chasm anymore. <laughs> You're not trying to get across it. You crossed it. Jesus Christ got you across it. Enjoy being on solid ground. I'm on the solid ground of salvation. It's not South Crest Baptist Church. It's Jesus Christ. So I don't have to do this anymore. I like being on solid ground, especially the older I get. <laughs> the uneven ground, that iffy ground is where I got to be careful. If you don't know the Lord, today's your day. Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.